Well, hey again, everyone. Welcome to Grace Life. Would you help me welcome all of our first-time guests? So glad to have you with us, both online as well as right here in the room. Hey, before we get into the message, I want to remind you what is coming up again this month. If you were here in January, we talked about the 24-7 prayer movement. It's a movement that has been taking place all around the world for decades now and seeing God move in different cities. It's about each church taking a day. Sometimes Christian organizations get involved as well, Christian businesses, but we each take a calendar day. We cover that day for 24 hours to pray that God will move in our city and our, our schools and our government and our surrounding area. Well, we start started last, uh, last year with this movement and we began with January uh, for Grace Life. It is the 15th of every month, January 15th, February 15th. And so that's why we're talking about it again, because many of you signed up in January, but it's continuing to grow. So, so far uh, in 2023, we now have over 50 churches and over 1,100 individuals signed up for being a part of this. And so if you were not here in January or you, you just didn't get around to signing up, they're going to put the QR code on the screen. I want to encourage you, take one half hour, one day a month, and you get to choose when that is. One half hour on the 15th of the month. Again, we will email you the seven prayer points from the 24-7 prayer movement. So you don't even have to figure out what do I do for 30 minutes, about four minutes per point, And it's going to be over in no time. So you can fill the time very, very easily. And then we can all come together to see God move in our world because I believe God's got the only answer we're looking for. Anybody with me on that one? Amen. So. Well, with that being said, we are in a series today's part two. If you're a guest or if you were traveling last weekend, uh, the other part one is already on our app or our website. Uh, this series, as you can tell from everything around me, is simply called Closer. And uh, the series, I think, is important for two reasons. First of all, is because it is about getting closer to Jesus. And it is hard to come up with something more important than being closer to Jesus, right? Come on. And the second reason is because we're, we're trying to make a, a more concerted effort, a more intentional effort to make sure that we actually apply what we're talking about on Sundays. You know, it's very easy to hear a lot of messages, but to never actually force yourself to sit down and say, what should I change in my life? What is God telling me to do differently in my life because of what I heard preached, right? So today, as we go into part two of the series, we're actually going to look at the greatest sermon ever given in human history. And no, it is not on our website by me. It's about Jesus 2,000 years ago. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And as we look at what Jesus was preaching that day, the, I, I've been to the place three times, and so the whole image kind of comes to mind for me. It's a beautiful location. They've built a church there to commemorate it. It's now called the Mount of Beatitudes because Jesus began this sermon with the statement's called the Beatitudes about the blessed life that God intends for his people. And you can just imagine the slope that goes down and all the people gathered and, and the breeze was blowing from the Sea of Galilee that you can see in the distance. And, and it just, it had to have been picturesque that day. But there's a part of me as I read it, as Jesus is preaching, and I kind of have a thought that I would have had like in that moment, like, does Jesus think what I think when I preach. Was Jesus thinking the kind of thing? Because when I'm preaching, I'm looking around the room and uh, one of the thoughts that goes through my head is how many of these people are actually listening to me? Because, you know, some of you, you have your phones out and you pretend like you're taking notes on the app, <laughs> except you get really excited at a time when I did not say anything good. <laughs> and so I know like Candy Crush is going on somewhere in the room, right? You know what I'm saying? 
And, and so I, I'm wondering for the thousands of people gathered for Jesus at that moment, how many of them were really paying attention and really thinking, what do I need to change about my life? Now, look, I didn't say that to make anybody feel bad because, well, we're humans and a lot of stuff comes at us and we cannot process it and apply it all equally. And that's okay. Like I listen to sermons throughout the week. I listen to a lot of books. I read a lot of books. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And I do not stop immediately and ask, how do I apply that to my life every single time? So I, I wasn't throwing any stones, hope nobody felt that way. But it is important today as we talk about what Jesus wants us to apply from the greatest sermon ever given, that we at least get that in our frame of mind. Today is where we're going to need to stop and say, what do I do with this? Right? You guys with me on that one? So before I tell you more about what Jesus preached in this sermon I want to ask you a question that will help us understand the people he was preaching to that day. The question is this. What do you consider to be the biggest problem in our world today? If you could be president, or maybe that's not big enough. If you could be world dictator for a day, what is the one problem you would solve? What would you do to fix everything you think is wrong? Or maybe let's, let's bring it in a little bit. What's the biggest problem in your life? If you could be God for a day, what is the one thing you would change about your life that you think would make everything right? All would be the way that it should be. If we go back 2,000 years, Jesus was talking to the people about the biggest problem that they faced. But they didn't know what it was, actually. Matter of fact, the biggest problem that they would have said, if you'd have asked that entire crowd, maybe all but one person would have given the same answer. And they would have given the same answer for their individual life as their world. And they would have all said, the biggest problem, the biggest thing wrong, if I could fix one thing, anything at all, and they would have all simply said, the Romans. Now, sorry for those of you that are about to get triggered with a middle school history lesson. I'm going to keep it real short and to the point. But if you remember learning about the Romans, well, they were an empire that had conquered the known world at the time. One of the most famous and most powerful empires in all of human history. Well, when they had conquered the known world, it just so happened that included God's people. It included the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. They were ruled and occupied by the Roman armies. So here's the problem, and the reason they thought this was the biggest problem, is because God's people, as a worshiper of God and as a nation, knew no difference in their rules. Their civil courts followed their scriptures, and their worship followed their scriptures. Worshiping God, obeying God, being people as a nation, they were all the same. They didn't have any different answers. But the Romans came and said, this is the way it's going to be. And while the Romans were incredibly ungodly, at least by God's definition. And so they were saying, wait a minute, we can't even be godly like we're supposed to be. And then these Romans, they, they, they extort us and they take money for taxes to pay for their ungodliness. If we could just get rid of the Romans. Well, actually, that's one reason they had such a problem with Jesus. Because Jesus, if he was going to be the Messiah, the Messiah was going to be the person who set him free from their problems and, and solved all the problems of the world, which was getting rid of the Romans. They all thought that the Messiah was going to come and be a political leader, someone who was going to solve everything, cause an uprising, and, and get rid of the Romans and allow Israel to be the way it's supposed to be. Unfortunately, Jesus didn't do much politics. And actually, in his greatest sermon, he didn't even mention the Romans, really. But he did tell them what the biggest problem of the day was. And I'm curious, as you answered that question a moment ago, what you said was the biggest problem in the world today, if you could change something. 
I know some of you would have said, just let me be president. Some of you would have said, you know, let me, you know, do this or let me do that. Some of us would have said government. Others would have said your next door neighbor. <laughs> some of us would have said your boss. Some of us would have said, you know, whatever. We've all got answers. And well, the truth is the problem that they faced then, and the problem you and I face now, it's actually the same. And it keeps us from being close to Jesus. And that's why we're going to talk about this today. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 6. We're going to start in verse 19. For the record, kind of a little disclaimer to help you understand this, uh, the greatest sermon Jesus ever gave is too big for us to talk about in one day. Matter of fact, I've preached an entire series on it before and probably will again someday because, hey, if Jesus said it, you can't go wrong. Great content, right? But there is so much to say. It takes up three chapters in our book of Matthew alone. And I'm not going to begin to try to touch on all of that or to try to summarize his entire sermon. But I am going to show us a, a passage that lands on what might be the most quotable and most memorable verse in the whole Sermon on the Mount. And maybe one of the most memorable statements Jesus ever made. So we're going to start in Matthew 6, 19, where he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he begins to make a really important statement, revelation. He's going to begin to explain it more as he goes on, but he's just beginning to kind of let the cat out of the bag. You see, in the Bible, the word heart is really referring to our soul almost every time you read that word. You can almost always substitute the word heart with soul, and that is your mind, your will, your emotions, what you think, what you want, what you feel. Every time you see the word heart, you can substitute what I think, what I want, and what I feel. And Jesus says, the treasure you're chasing, that's where you're going to find what you think, what you want, what you feel. Well, here's the thing about our heart. Our heart guides our lives. So he's saying the treasure you're chasing, guess what? You're going to find your whole life consumed with it going to be going there, which is why he sort of changes topics, but I don't think that he really did so much when he starts saying the eye is the lamp of the body. Wait a minute, Jesus, you were just talking about us being careful not to store up gold that thieves could steal. But he says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, well, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, well, then your whole body will be full of darkness. So if then the light in you is darkness, wow, how great is the darkness. He's been talking about financial treasure. He will talk more about finances in just a moment, but he makes us think he's confused with his notes and just changes from one topic to the other because he begins to talk about our perspective and the way that we see everything. Matter of fact, we just did a whole message on these two sentences just a few weeks ago talking about perspective. But he's actually pointing out a really important truth for us. It's a profound truth that we have to grasp before we go any further. And what he's trying to say is if you become focused on the wrong treasure, your whole life will be filled with darkness. If you become focused on the wrong treasure, your whole life will be filled with darkness. Okay, so treasure matters, right? He goes on with that truth being revealed. He says, no one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And it would be great if he had just kind of left that hanging where we could use that for any topic and say, well, you know, it's kind of up to you. What do you think he meant? But he actually, like he lays it out there, you cannot serve God and money. And the truth we know, or maybe need to know, 
is you can have God and money in your life, but you will only treat one of them as the treasure you seek. Yeah, last service, I got one little grunt, and, and that, was, that was a lot better. A lot of you figured out that was deep. Because you can have God and money. And the truth is, we'd all like God and money. I would like God and money. Can I just be honest? Like, uh, you know, I, I'd like them both. But we can only treat one of them as the treasure we seek. And the truth is, much hasn't changed from then to now or from now back to then if you were to go the other way in time. Because apparently, money can be the primary treasure so many face and seek. is because of the security they think it provides. And that's why, again, as we keep reading, it seems like, Jesus, man, you're changing topics again, except not really, because now he's beginning to talk about the whole point. If money is the primary treasure we go after, the reason is because of the security that we're seeking. So his next words are, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. You think money's going to be your security? I, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is life, not more than food and the body, not more than clothing. So he's been talking about financial treasure only to help us understand if financial treasure is the most important thing to you, it's because of the stuff that money can get you so that you don't have to trust God because security is in your bank account. So he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now look, Jesus was an incredible teacher. And so he would make points that were so relevant, everybody would get it, would save him a whole lot of words. And, and so when he said, not even Solomon, they all went, oh. Really? I get it. You and me today, we're like, Solomon, who's Solomon? Who cares about Solomon? Solomon, you know? I mean, it's like, what's the big deal? Well, let me explain it. Solomon was one of their former kings. And he was the king at the height of everything for them. They were at their greatest political power. They had the most peace and the fewest wars during Solomon's reign. They had the greatest wealth. And their buildings were the most built they had ever been and the most beautiful. After, before Solomon, they were not all built. After Solomon, they were torn down in battles. So the height of beauty, wealth, riches, national pride, everything was during Solomon. And Solomon, because the Bible says he was the wisest man who ever lived and he was the richest. That he was able to dress himself better than anybody else. When he walked down the street, that was like GQ. It was fashion magazine on, on display. So like whatever Solomon did, you, did y'all see that color Solomon was wearing? I, I, I got to get that color. I mean, everything. So they're going, whoa, you mean God will take care of us better than Solomon? That's a big statement, Jesus. See, they got that. He says, so if God clothes the grass of the field, which today's alive and tomorrow's thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. Have y'all ever been listening to me preach, and I said something, and it offended you? Don't raise your hands. Don't want hands on that. Jesus just did that to them, and he did it twice in like one sentence. Because as he's talking about these things, and he goes, oh, you have little faith. You can imagine him going, oh, how dare you? You know? A little entitled moment there. 
don't you call me little faith. I'm out here listening to you, man. You just... And then he turns right around and says, why are y'all seeking after all this stuff? The Gentiles do that. If you're new to church, the Gentiles were what they called the non-Jews, the non-God's people. So he basically just said, why are all you people acting like you're not God's people? That would have ticked somebody off just for the record. He would have gotten an email over that one. I'm just telling you. <laughs> How dare you call me a Gentile up in here? I was over there at the Mount of Beatitudes listening to you preach. I'm a good little Jew. You're a good little Jew. And how dare you bring up the Romans? Well, that's our problem. That was their problem. And it's our problem. The good news, again, since he is a great teacher, after he lays out the problem so articulately, in my opinion, he tells us the answer as simply and practically as anybody can with this one statement. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, the food, the clothing, the what you'll wear, the what you'll eat, all that sort of stuff, it'll be added to you. And, and, you know, as we're reading this message, I've kind of pointed out, it seems like Jesus is lost in his notes. He's confused. He's all over the place. He's changing topics. And some of you were really worried when I first started reading for, you know, do not store treasure here on earth. Some of you are immediately like, oh, here goes another money sermon. The man's going to take an offering again. I mean, some of you were already disappointed. And yeah, Jesus touched on money, but as he seemingly bounced all over the place and covered all these topics. I'll be honest, he did cover a lot of topics in the way that if I preached on the Sermon on the Mount, we would have taken weeks to go through that passage because I would have spent a whole Sunday talking about the anxiety our world faces today looking for security. I would have talked about how money is one of the treasures we chase after and sometimes it's a little too high in our eyes. I would have, talk, I would have talked about different things in different sermons. But although Jesus hit on more than one topic, don't miss... He only had one theme. This whole passage only has one theme, plain and simple. What you treasure, you will seek. And what you seek will become the focus of your life and the source of your security. Did y'all hear that? See, what you treasure, you will seek. There's no question about it. And what you seek will become the focus of your life and the source of your security. And the reason Jesus is telling them they've got the problem in life wrong is because when you're doing that, God is neither the focus of your life or the source of your security. Your treasure is. Whatever that treasure happens to be, that's everything for you. Because what you treasure is what you will seek. What you seek is the focus of your life, and that is your security. So that leads us to a very simple question today. I told you our point today was to make sure we don't hear part of the greatest sermon ever given and then just walk away. But we actually say, what does this mean to me? And so every single one of us needs to take a moment and actually answer this question. What are you seeking most? What are you seeking most? Is it riches? Is it to be famous? Some of you have this secret little dream that someday they're going to discover your talent. You will finally co-star alongside Brad Pitt or George Clooney. You're going to get to meet them. And Angelina Jolie, I don't really know what's in your mind. We've all got something that we're seeking most. Maybe it's so that you can have the best beach body out there. Maybe it's that you can have more stuff than your neighbor who smiles at you every time he opens his garage and kind of points this way. Maybe it's so that you can be the best mom in the car rider line. 
Maybe it is so that you can get a higher rank in the military because nothing else matters than getting to salute fewer and having more salute you. Maybe it's getting the corner office. Maybe it's a luxury car. Look, that list could go on forever, couldn't it? But here's the point. There's actually only three. There are only three treasures that we chase after. Everything that we just described and anything else you would have said is really one of those three types of treasures. Matter of fact, that's the reason when the devil tempted Jesus, he only had three temptations and Jesus faced everything you and I faced because there are only three treasures that we chase after. Let me show it to you. The Bible tells us this in 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, for all that is in the world, and before you get confused about Greek, the word all actually means all. No, no confusion on this one. It doesn't get deeper than that. For everything the world has to offer, three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, and don't get confused, it's not from the Father. These three, everything the world has to offer, only three things, not from God, but from the world. Not from God, but from the world. These three things. For those of you that love taking notes and you like to remember these and keep them real simple, these three things, you can remember the letter P, right? And here's how it goes. Possessions, pleasure, and promotion. Possession, pleasure, and promotion. Let me explain it to you. Possession is the, the desires of the eyes. We look around and go, oh man, look, I would love to have that stuff. Man, and what, you know what I need to get all that stuff? Money. It's all about money and the stuff that money will buy for you. Matter of fact, there are way too many of us that actually believe if I had enough money, I could solve all my problems. We, we believe it. And because we believe it, the primary treasure we chase after is money. And I could just prove it all day long, not in my notes. I'm about to get in trouble. But how many people live somewhere you don't want to live for a job because it gives you money? How many people do a job you wouldn't want to do if they stopped paying you for money? How many people don't eat what you want to eat because you don't have the money to do it? See, many of us believe all my problems could be solved with money. If I'm sick, all I got to do is have enough money. Then I can hire the best doctor, all the experts in the world. I can pay them triple their salary, be their only patient, pay for any kind of care. Nothing can stop me. You got an annoying neighbor with enough money, you can buy his house and blow it up. You can buy enough land that you live on an estate the size of Rhode Island. You won't have any neighbors. Might get eaten by a bear. May not be a great plan. But hey, you, you have a job you can't stand with enough money. You don't need a job. You're like me and they never have your size on the clearance rack. Enough money. Who cares about clearance racks, right? I mean, come on. Y'all know what I'm saying. Most of us truly believe with enough money, almost every problem I have could be solved. Possession, the desires of the eyes. But we're not going to talk just about that because there are two others that compete. The second one is pleasure. This is the desire of the flesh. This is a part of my job that's not as much fun as when this treasure hunt comes into people's lives. I'll be honest with you, I've seen way too many lives destroyed in the treasure hunt for pleasure. This part of my job that you see right now, I love I love preaching. It's one of the things God's gifted me to do. I love teaching God's word because I love God's word. I love the Bible. I enjoy reading the Bible as much as I do watching TV. I know that means y'all don't think I'm weird now, but okay, it's fine. I'm a Bible nerd. I enjoy it. I just, I just love learning what God has to say. So the point is I love to get up here and teach. And half the time I'm down on the front row going, worship team, speed it up, man. I got stuff to say. You know, so I, I love this part of my job, but 
there's a part of my job behind closed doors where somebody's been on a treasure hunt for pleasure and they found a little and it wasn't enough, so they went for more and that still wasn't enough and they went for more. And now they've lost a marriage or they've lost a family or they've lost themselves in their right frame of mind and treasure hunt for pleasure can destroy all of us. The third one is the pride of life and it's the treasure hunt for promotion. It's all about making much of us, making much of myself. It's all about my accomplishments and what I can do. You know, if you're a career chaser, you're not going to raise your hand and admit it, but let me just ask you a question. On the day you retire, do you want your spouse and children there celebrating with you or far away resenting the job that kept you from them all those years? Teenagers who are like, yeah, you yell at my dad for me. Come on, get on him. Look, you don't even have to have a career to be addicted to promotion and be chasing it. I mean, look at how many times you check the number of followers and likes you have on social media. And whatever the story is, every single one of us is going after something that we think impresses people, whether it is homecoming queen or vice president of sales. We want the corner office. We want a title because we think that that's going to impress people. You know why we think it'll impress people? Because it impresses me. It impresses myself. And when something impresses me, I think it impresses everybody else. And this is Jesus's point. We're impressed with the wrong treasures. We're just impressed with the wrong treasures. And so we're on the wrong treasure hunt. So let's get back to the solution Jesus gave us. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The truth is, even when you believe that and trust that, you still sort of don't like it. I mean, if we could just be real honest about it, that last part, all these things will be added to you. We're like, yeah, but God adds it on his terms. Like, let's be honest. Everybody in here, I think, would agree. If I put the kingdom of God first, I will not starve. Come on. Somebody's with me. You know you're not going hungry. The problem is you're like, well, if I put the kingdom first, okay, I won't go hungry, but I probably don't get to go to Hall's Chop House seven nights a week and eat ribeye. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're like, okay, well, if I put the kingdom of God first, I know I'll have clothes. I'll be taken care of. I won't have to go naked up in church. Like, that would be a problem, right? You know, but might not get all the Gucci I was aiming for, you know? So like, we're like... Uh, all these will be added to me, but they'll be added on God's terms. So, well, that just kind of shows we're still struggling with those three desires, treasure hunt, right? But that's not really what I want to talk about because I wasn't in my notes. So let me get back to what I was wanting to say, what I believe God wants to say. This is actually, I think, one of the most famous verses. People have it on their walls. If you've been to church only a handful of times, you probably heard it preached and you maybe even have it memorized. Many of us could quote it, except most of us would quote it just a little wrong. Because most people say, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these will be added to you. And we leave out three very important words and his righteousness. You guys put that back on the screen for me. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the rest of the stuff, God will take care of. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If I could be honest, I've preached this before and I've, I've kind of ignored those three words. I, I've read this, I've known it for a long time. But this, this hit me in a different way this week. It made me realize those three words are more meaningful than I'd ever discovered as I did more research on the passage. And 
part of the issue is a little something that, that happened this week. I got an email about last Sunday's sermon. I don't get emails often. I mean, I get emails all the time. It's my job. But I only get negative emails telling me that I didn't preach well and that I hurt someone's feelings two or three times a year, only on two topics. And I got one last week. And that phrase kind of hit me a little bit, the, and his righteousness. I want to make sure you understand. I want you to hear my heart. I'm not up here saying, well, I've got the microphone. Now I get to give my opinion. That's, that's not what I'm doing. What I want to do is make sure we don't understand the importance of these words. So let me, let me make it practical. When Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God, what does that even mean practically? Well, I've preached entire series on the kingdom of God. And every time I do, it takes five or six weeks. It's one of my favorite topics. I mean, there's so much to be said on the kingdom of God. And even if I preach a six-part sermon uh, series on it, I'm going to tell you that I've only just scratched the surface. So if you'll allow me, for us today, in order to make this very, very practical, I am going to oversimplify the kingdom of God. Can, is that okay with everybody? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you enough to do what Jesus is asking. Everybody okay with that? So here's your oversimplification, but enough to do what Jesus is asking for. Seeking the kingdom of God is about bringing an intangible spiritual kingdom into your tangible natural world. And in that kingdom, God is the highest authority and his ways are the highest ways. Seeking the kingdom of God looks very, very different from the kingdoms of the world. Remember, the Bible said that the three things the world has to offer, the kingdoms of the world, they've got three things and only three things, and they're not from God. What Jesus was doing that day was offering an incredibly stark contrast and choice. Like, these aren't similar. As they sat on that mountainside that day listening to Jesus, he's like, I'm, I'm showing you guys two completely different ways of living. They do not even over, they don't overlap at all. There, there's nothing there is the kingdom of God. Your life will look like the kingdom of God has come upon the earth. God is your highest authority. His ways are your highest ways. Or you will look like a life chasing after pleasure, promotion, and possession. Because that's what the people of the world are doing. You're going to have a choice between those two. So as we seek the kingdom of God, bringing God as the highest authority and God's ways as the highest ways, Jesus added those three words that are very important because first of all, Jesus is the one that preached and actually said that we'll give account for every idle word. So he's not gonna say anything that doesn't matter. Every word he says was of great importance. So why would he need to tell us to seek the kingdom of God? Let our lives look like the kingdom of God has come upon the earth, but also seek one more thing, his righteousness and his righteousness. You see, what I think we miss when we quote this verse so often and we, we kind of leave those words out, we don't realize what it's telling us is we have to seek God's definition of right, of being right with Him. That's what righteousness is. It is right with God, holiness. In other words, God gets to decide right versus wrong for us sometimes. And the very interesting thing, remember when Jesus is saying these words, there was no New Testament. There, the part that we like wasn't written yet. And the part that we want to say is wrong and irrelevant is the part Jesus was referring to. Seek his righteousness. I came to fulfill every word that my father spoke. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. So there really is, is no difference there. Well, what happened if you were not here for part one is I simply made the statement 
as we get closer to Jesus, Jesus had defined that God made us male and female with no confusion. And God had defined and Jesus affirmed that marriage was between a male and a female. And the essence of the email, again, I'm not trying to be a jerk or a pastor on a soapbox. I'm really trying to help. And I hope it comes across that way. The essence of the email and the one sentence that I'll, I'll give you was, love is never wrong. I'm sorry, love is never a sin. And I'm sorry that you believe a 3,500 year old book says so. I wanna help you with this. The age of the Bible is irrelevant. Let me tell you why. Because God is older than the Bible and humanity's sin nature is older than the Bible, which means what God has to say to us in the Bible about him and our sin nature is actually the most current article we have on the topic. The age of the Bible is not the issue. The issue is, are we seeking our righteousness, our definition of how to be right with God? Are we seeking His? What we're gonna have to understand in our world today, just like Jesus said, look, everybody who is not one of God's people, and right now y'all even look like them, you're chasing the three things of the world, but you're gonna have to choose to chase the kingdom. We have the same choice today. Matter of fact, I believe if Jesus came back right now and he preached another sermon, I believe you'd use the same notes because our problems haven't changed. Our problems haven't changed. Like I told you, I get emails only a couple times a year and only on two topics. Apparently everything else I preach on, you don't care if I hurt your feelings and you come back the next week. But every time I preach on tithing, I get an email that says God does not define how to honor him. I'm serious. I can prove, I can show you my emails. And every time I talk about God's definition of sexuality and marriage, I get emails saying it's an outdated book. God will not define for me sexuality. His definition of righteousness is outdated my definition of righteousness will matter. Now, I know that what I just said does not make everybody in this room want to say amen. I didn't come here today to offend or to hurt. I came here to make sure you understand the issue that matters. The only issue that matters if you want to be closer to Jesus is his definition. If I want to be closer to Jesus, my definition doesn't matter. You see, I have a friend of mine that teaches, if you want to be close to someone, care about what they care about. If you want to be close to someone, care about what they care about. If you want to be close to your kids, stop inviting them to come to work with you. <laughs> do what they care about. I do something with my, my children. I call it daddy dates. I take one kid each week after school and we go out and we do something together that they care about. So I've got a son. I, look, I love chess, but I don't take all of my children to play chess. But I have one son who loves chess as much as me. And so I pick him up on a Friday afternoon and we go down to Starbucks and we get our little tea and coffee and we play chess. You wanna talk about the epitome of nerddom. It is Friday afternoon, school is out and we are playing chess. But he cares, so I care. 
My daughter, on the other hand, eh, she couldn't care a lot about chess, but she cares so deeply for our cats. So we spent a whole hour at PetSmart letting her look at the fish and the lizards and pick out toys for our cats because in her great wisdom, she knows what the cats are going to love. Got another son that doesn't care for the cats or chess, but he would learn to love to drive. So I brought him to the parking lot and uh, let him on Friday afternoon when no one is here, figure out what it would be like to actually drive a car so he can take his test. And they all had great times. Why? Because I didn't ask them to do what I cared about. I did what they cared about. If you want to be closer to your wife, guys, go shopping and care. When she comes out of the dressing room, don't roll your eyes. Are you getting the point? So if you want to be closer to Jesus, seek the kingdom where he is king. Let me pray for us. God, we, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your mercy in our lives. Today, we just admit we, we do love this world. We, we love stuff. We love pleasure and, and we love when people say great things about us. We, we love the three things the world has to offer. And, and well, God, we, we have to also admit today, we, we wanna do things on our terms. And so we, we want to tell everyone what we think is right. We struggle to surrender and say, whatever you say, God, whatever you say. So God, today we just confess that and, and we ask you, would you help us? to fall out of love with the things of this world and to fall in love with you and your ways. And today we declare we trust that your ways are higher and that you are the only one who can define how to be right with you. You are the only one who can define holiness as you are the only one who is holy. And we surrender our definitions to you. And we thank you for your love and your goodness to us. If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I'd like to speak to those who have yet to make Jesus their king. In our decisions and in our chase for treasure here on the earth, we found ourselves separated from God as humans. It was sin. It was an attitude, a thought, an action, who knows. But for every one of us, there's at least one thing, if not millions, that have separated us from God. The good news is God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life upon the earth and to die our death on the cross so that when his blood was shed and his body was broken as an innocent man, he could pay for my sins and yours. And then the same power that raised him from the dead offers us eternal life. We call this the free gift of salvation, knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that we are right with God, that our guilt and shame is removed and we have eternal life to spend with him. But if you've never received this gift, well, today would be a great time to do that. So wherever you are, I'd love to help you exchange the life you've been living for the one that Jesus has for you. Wherever you are, would you simply say something like this to yourself and to God? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. 
And so now I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Would everybody help me celebrate with them?